0: Well, good morning. Well, I get to talk to you, and Pastor has to go talk to all the youths. so I think I got the easier job. Hey, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to chapter 11 of Luke. (laughs) Just testing. You know, years ago, I was... um, Working in Youth for Christ in Fresno, and they um, were doing these training sessions for our college and kind of, you know, uh, post college people. We, they work with high school students, and there's about 35, 40 of them, 45, and we would meet in someone's home once a month or so for training. And so one time we were going to meet at this home, and they said, Bruce, why don't you get a speaker for us? So I went and got this 75-year-old lady to come and teach on prayer to college kids. And uh, so I went by and got her. He said, that's dumb, a 75-year-old lady to college kids. So I picked her up, and she was going to speak on prayer. And I had to introduce her, like, you know, pastor had to introduce me. So we're driving, and I said, um, her name was Gladys. I said, hey, Gladys, I said, Uh, I'm going to introduce you, and you're going to talk on prayer, so um, can you tell me what you think prayer is? She goes, why, honey, it's talking to Jesus. And I thought, well, that (laughs) did not help. And then when she got done speaking that day, or that night, she had the kids in the palm of her hand. And she said those things that night that many of us never have forgotten. And that one phrase, prayer is talking to Jesus, has been haunting me ever since then. So let me kind of show you a little bit about that and, and uh, go to chapter 11 of Luke, which is often called, by the way, the gospel of prayer. And um, let me read to you verse 1. It says, It came about or as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord teach us to pray, is John also taught his disciples. Why'd they ask the question? Why'd they want him to teach them a prayer? What's got them to ask that particular question? They saw him doing what? Praying. You know, um, I used to sign this book years ago where I teach, and I forgot the name, I even forgot the author. Hmm. Anyway, I haven't forgot a lot of what he said. He said, "With Jesus, class was always in session," and that that kind of haunted me in the back of my brain. And then, and then over the years, I began to slowly notice something because um, I've been teaching a long time at Azusa, and uh, students will often. Write me or email me or call me or whatever, and come by and see me. And um, here's what I began to notice. They don't remember all my brilliant lectures. (laughs) Guess what they remember? Their interactions with me. And then I slowly began to realize some of the most powerful ways to teach is to be the message. They wanted to know about prayer because they saw him praying. And maybe the most effective teachers in your town are sitting next to you. Because sometimes Jesus wasn't teaching in a synagogue. In fact, well over half the times, I think, in Luke, he wasn't teaching in church. Sometimes the most effective ways to learn about God are outside of church. You can learn in church, don't get me wrong. But maybe the most effective messages will be taught by you, and maybe sometimes it won't be so much what you've said, but who you are. And sometimes I envy you, because you're out there in the secular world. You're on the front lines. You're in the important places. And and Jesus was praying. They saw that. And then they asked questions. And maybe some people will come to this church because they, they want to have they have questions they want to ask you. And then you say, well, I can't answer that. So come to church. And then maybe they'll come. And maybe you can answer them. And maybe the most effective teaching they'll ever hear is going to come from your mouth. Um, a couple of years ago when I was still doing that youth work, I gave this kid a ride home. And um, he'd never come before. And so he said, uh, so this is kind of a religious thing, isn't it? We had gone to the lake, and we found this rock quarry next to it up in Bass Lake, and it was in the middle of winter, and it had frozen because there was water—about six feet of water in it. So we went and got bro- old, broken-up brooms and a big beach ball, and we played broom hockey on that stuff. And we just had to make sure we didn't go to one edge because the sun shined on that, and the, the the ice was real thin, and kids fell through, and that was interesting. Um, but then we had this great time, you know, beating each other up with these broomsticks and stuff. And, uh, and then we were coming home, and, and one of my friends came up and shared the faith at a cabin, you know. And as we're coming down, he says, uh, so I want to ask you about your group. And I thought, oh, he wants to ask Bible questions. He says, I said, what do you want to ask? He says, well, I don't understand who you guys are. And I was thinking, okay, how do I answer that? Then he kept asking, he says, you know, I used to be um, setting up to be the quarterback for the football team, but the coach pulled me aside and told me he didn't need a quarterback this year, and he needed help collecting the towels, and so I shouldn't go out but just help him with that. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> this guy thinks he's going to be quarterback and he's the towel boy, you know. So there's some disconnect with reality, you know. Well, then guess what happened to him in the, in the locker room? The kids were brutal to him. They'd get those towels, wrap them up, and then, and they would just harass this kid. You say, how cruel. Was this in Afghanistan? No, this was in America. This happens in almost every gym in America. And they went after, they often, they often go after that kid. And they were, and they were just harassing this kid. And so then he now he posts his question. He goes, who are you guys? And I said, why do you ask that? He says, well, one of the guys in your group is a linebacker, and he told me his name. And he says, they came after me as usual. And he stood in front of them and said, you go after him, you go after me. He says, so who are you guys? I said, oh. He says, why did he do that? I said, oh, I can't answer that question. I got this one. I got this one. He goes, what? I said, Jesus. That's the answer. Because Jesus was in the linebacker. Does that make sense? That was the most effective Bible teaching done maybe that year in that kid's life. It wasn't done in a Campus Life meeting or a youth meeting. It was done in a locker room by another student. So watch him. He's praying. And so they're willing to ask prayer questions. Then, of course, he gives the prayer you guys all know, right? He says, "Um, when you pray, pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Really, if you broke this prayer down, I know you all know it well, it basically divides into two things. The first part is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's kind of the opening. And those of you who have gone to a liturgical church, we call this the invocation How do you open a prayer? And you say, well, what's the cause or purpose of this sort of teaching? It's basically trying to teach you who you're talking to. Because I think the two most vital things about prayer is know who you're talking to and who you are that's doing the talking. Because prayer is dialogue. You say, well, who is the God we're talking to? Well, He's hallowed. He's holy. And to a Jew, when they heard this word, this must have frightened them because the word Kodesh also means power and fear. And the God that that you're praying to is extremely powerful. He created the worlds with His voice. But at the same time, He's your father. So he's awesome. And yet, he's your father. I shared with the earlier service that when my daughter was born, it was my fourth child. I didn't have health care. I didn't have anything. And I couldn't pay except out of my own pocket for the hospital bill. And I paid everything I could. So then I went and I was in Fresno and I had a talk with my dad and I said, Do you, do you think you could um, help me with this? And I asked for this amount I needed to pay the hospital bill. He gave me two and a half times as much as I asked. Why did he do that? He's my dad. And I I drove all the way to Fresno about two weeks ago on Saturday, got up in the morning, drove all the way there, then saw him and drove all the way back. You say, then why did you come all the way back? Why didn't you stay on Sunday? Why would you teach Sunday morning? at a Sunday school class. So I went, he said, why'd you go to Fresno? up and back in one day. It was his birthday, 89th birthday. So I went there, and uh, we did the party and all that kind of stuff. And before I left, I thought, where is my dad? I want to say goodbye to him. That's why he came here. So I found him, and I went and shook his hand, and I said, hey, happy birthday again. And he's this real tough businessman, kind of a hard guy. And he looked at me, and and it came real close, and it kind of bothered me. He started to get close to tears. And he grabbed my hand, and he said, Son, you are my life. Thank you for coming. God is our Father. We are His children. We are His life. We should recognize that when we pray. He's powerful and scary and awesome, but He is your dad. Then He goes on and basically tells you how to pray and it's basically what to ask for. You say, well, that's not very holy. may not be, but He tells you to do it. You said, means prayer is just a series of asking for things? Yeah. And the first thing you're to ask for is His will to be done. And this has been challenging for me because sometimes I get up in the morning and I've got so many things in my mind I'm trying to get this done, this done, this done. And I forget just to open the morning and just say, hey, this is your day. Guide me. What do you want done? Because, see, may your kingdom come. May you at least reign in Bruce today. May you get your way. And it's surprising when I pray that how things are different. By the way, yesterday I didn't. I was so. I'm a kind of a. Metal to the floor kind of guy, and I got up and I had all those things to do, and I didn't pray, and um, I screwed a lot of things up yesterday. You say, well, did you do evil? Did you run over kids in a crosswalk? No, 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 no. I, I just messed stuff up, and I had a, I just sat down and said, "May Your will be done. May You be King today in me." It would have made such a difference. In fact, all the way to church today, I was repenting. I was coming down Avenue. Or, Avenue two, what this second Avenue, anyway, come in here. And I thought, okay, you got to upgrade Bruce, but that's what he teaches you to do. And then give us this day, our daily bread. And you guys know to a Jew, bread always means more than bread. It means what? Dust daily sustenance. Now the Jews would move it wider and Jesus knew they would take it that way. Sometimes what your daily bread is is your health. That's why Manny was so wise to pray for health. It really hit me. I've had my wisdom teeth pulled, and my I didn't swell up, but um, they hit a nerve and a blood vessel, and so I spent the next day afterwards um, drinking a lot of blood. You know what I mean? And so finally, I called the guy at night, and he goes, "See you in the morning." and all that kind of stuff. And so when he said he's struggling with his root canal or um, having his wisdom teeth pulled, I thought, oh, I've been there. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray for Eric. Because I know what that's like. And so my daily need was not bread. It was my mouth. And you're to ask for those things. I know some of you young people in the room, it's, I'd like a mate. You can't pray that. Yeah, you can. It's daily bread. You need it. Ask for it. He encouraged you to ask for what you need. In fact, um, this is what Sunday, Friday, one of the little gals from my class said, can I talk with you right after class? I said, sure. So she walked me to my office and we sat down and she said, you know, I like being here and I like learning, but I can't pay for it. So what was her daily bread need? Tuition. So we talked about some options. And then I said, why don't you ask him? Here's some options you can pick. I says, and I'm not wise enough to know which one you should pick, but ask him. He does. You have need and you need wisdom and he will give it to you. So he's he's encouraging them to ask for things. And then what's the last thing or the next thing he says in verse four? What are you supposed to ask for there? Forgiveness. But this is the only request with What? with the condition. So if you ask God to forgive you, what do you have to do? Say, I just have to ask. No, 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 no. you have to do something. What is it you have to do? You've got to forgive all those idiots in your life. <laughs> Otherwise, he ain't going to hear you. How many of you know old people that have not forgiven and they're just horrible to be around? How many of you know people like that? Do you see why he does this? Would you like to go to heaven with those people? You're going, well, I'm not sure it could be heaven if they get in. It's not an option. You have to do that. But he wants you to ask for forgiveness. But then the price is you have to forgive. And then he adds one more that we often go right by. But... Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, that's been interesting. When I, I, I went into a business adventure one year. Uh, and I was doing it with this guy that was a friend of mine. And I couldn't sleep at night, so I got up. And it was during, this I think, the summertime. And so um, I went outside. It was about midnight. And I walked around couple blocks all around my house. And as I prayed, God put it on my heart to pray for my business partner because he was strong-willed and so am I. And I prayed we wouldn't fight and lose our friendship because of business. And sure enough, within a month, dis- disagreements came and, and it was really interesting. We never fought. And we ran this thing for several years and we broke it apart, you know, it was really neat. And then I, you know, we stayed friends. And then I met, I realized I had anticipated the temptation, prayed for it, asked for help, and he gave it. Okay. So Jesus is saying, know who you're talking to and ask. And then he gives you four areas to ask for his kingdom that will come, his will, he will. Because he'll answer that for your needs, for your forgiveness, and then for help on the things that could hurt you. And then he kind of changes gears. Look at verse 5. He said to them, Which of you who have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Don't trouble me. The door's shut, and my children are with me in bed. I can't rise and give to you. I say to you, though He will not rise and give to Him because He is His friend, yet because of His persistence, He will rise and give as many as He needs. A lot of times I don't pray because I don't think I'm very good at it. I have a very close friend and her Baby when it was born. It was really exciting. I remember the day. And then I remember a few weeks later, we found out he had a hole in his heart the size of a nickel. And it was spewing blood all through his body, and they had to take him immediately into surgery. And I knew when the surgery date was coming. So I thought, okay, this kid's in trouble. And if Bruce prays, it ain't gonna do any good. So I called our secretary because I thought she was closer in the prayer thing than I was. And she had moved back east. So I remember giving this phone call back in Boston, and I said, hey, Jerry, it's Bruce. And she goes, hey, how you doing? I said, fine. I said, why are you calling? I says, Jerry, I mean, Jerry, Marilyn's baby's going under the knife. In 24 hours, would you pray? She says, of course I will. I says, good, because I want all the big guns in on this one. Then I called that seventy-five-year-old lady. that I told you about her? And I drove to Fresno and I sat down and I says, "Now you know who Marilyn is, don't you?" She goes, "Yes, I do." I says, "Her baby goes under the knife tomorrow. Would you pray?" No. it was, Yeah, it was Saturday. I yeah, sorry, the baby was in operation on Monday. And you see, why did you go to them? Because I've always thought I'm not good at prayer like those people are. And there's times I've been in situations where I feel so inadequate because these poor people, the only person that's going to pray for them is me. Therefore, they've got no chance. You say, oh, you're just being humble. No, no, I'm just being honest. See, what Jesus is telling me is it doesn't matter how spiritual I am or how good at prayer I am or all that. It doesn't matter who I am. I'm to pray. And if I'm persistent... The guy gave him the bread, not because he was his friend, but because of why? Just persistent. So bombard heaven. You say, well, I'm not really good at... prayer." doesn't matter. You ask. You keep asking. You keep asking. So then he follows this up. Look at verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. Do you see the next verse? It's a repetition, isn't it? Except there's one change. What's the change? For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone to him who knocks. I think Jesus repeated verse 10 to add that for everyone. He wants you and I to pray. And maybe your prayers are more important to him than mine or even the great Gladys. Does that make sense? I'm not knocking that some people are a very powerful prayer. I know that. I've seen that right before my eyes. But I'm just telling you, that's what he's saying. It doesn't matter who you are. Understand who you're talking to. And he's told you to ask. Just don't give up. Keep praying. And then he kind of gives a, um, a disclaimer here or a, um, a help. Look at, look at verse 11. If a man asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? And of course, what's the answer? No. And if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Answer, No. And if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? No. Fathers don't do that. Moms don't do that. Grandmas and grandpas don't do that. So look what he says. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit. What is that? You say, oh, I understand. How much more will your heavenly Father give you warm, fuzzy feelings, if you ask Him? Isn't that how we often equate the Holy Spirit? Warm, fuzzy feelings? You want me to define the word for you? The word spirit means, in Hebrew, it's it's, uh, ruach. It means air that moves. So they use the word for wind. And they use the word for... (sighs) Because when that stops, what are you? You're dead. So if a man has spirit, he has life. So the word spirit or wind or moving air began to mean for the Jews vitality. And we call God the Father... God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. You are to ask for the vitality, the holy vitality, the living power of God. Ask and you shall receive. You say, well, does that mean, wait a minute, vitality is different than warm, fuzzy feelings. Ah, I know. So what does he mean by that? Well, Jesus is a good teacher and the best way to teach is to be the message. So let's watch him Explain prayer. Okay, so look at verse fourteen. He was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. Wouldn't that have been fun to do? This guy can't talk. He's demon possessed. You come over there, and the power, the the wind of God is in you. You know the mighty awesomeness and the vitality. Of God. So you go get out, devil, and boom, this guy can speak again. He can be human again because that's what makes us human. We have speech. We, can, we have language. It, what's it, you know. So Jesus gives him back his humanity. And all the crowds go, whoa. Okay? Then look at verse 15. It gets a little weird. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Were they impressed? What did they just do? They just called Jesus, the Holy Son of God, a Satanist. And then look at here's another really bright group. Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. And you're thinking, wait a minute, the mute man just spoke. Hello, guys. The lights are on, but nobody's home. You wanted to sign, the guy just spoke who was mute. Hello, there's a sign. But sometimes people have blocks for brains. Do you think if you did something really cool for God, there might be criticism? Aren't you glad no one's ever criticized your pastor? No one's ever criticized Raul Reese or Pancho or... You say, when you were a pastor, were you ever criticized? (laughs) Oh, yeah. In fact, one time I sat down with some of them. I said, listen, guys, I sinned. You just got all the wrong ones. I was criticized of of doing things. I didn't even know how to do those. You said, well, why did you get criticized? I don't, you know, it was amazing. One time a guy didn't talk to me for a whole month. And one day he came up to me and says, you notice I haven't been smiling at me? I said, Notice when you came to visit me in the hospital, I didn't smile. I says, you were in the hospital, man. you left the to smile at me. You were in the hospital. He goes, no, I was deliberately trying not to smile. <laughs> and I said, okay, why weren't you smiling? He says, well, so-and-so said you were trying to do this. He said, she said, you've had lunch with Pastor so-and-so of the other church, and you guys are plotting how to turn our church into that church. and like it. I said, I did go have lunch with that pastor, and we didn't talk about our church. We actually talked about his problems. He can never talk with anybody because he's so famous and no, he has no one he can talk to. So we talked about his problems. I said, We weren't trying to do this. Who told you that? He goes, Well, so and so. Then he goes, Oh, that's right. She gossips all the time. Oh. <laughs> and he turns and he says, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Yeah, I'll forgive you, man. <laughs> you know? But you, you'd be amazed how many times you You'll be criticized. Okay, so let me show you what Jesus does with criticism. Okay, Um, it's verse 17. It says, And he killed five of them, and the rest of them learned. No, I'm sorry, wait a minute. Sorry, I took the glasses off. I try to pretend like I don't need them, but here we go. Okay, here we go. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against itself falls. Now, the World Series are going to start right away, right? Who is it? It's Giants and Texas. Okay. Both teams are filled with the greatest players in the country right now. What if one team starts fighting with itself? and there's dissension on the team. Who's going to win? And what about football? What if they don't like each other? What if the, the center doesn't like the quarterback, so deliberately snaps on a different count? Will they win? What if the end doesn't like the quarterback, so he's going to run a different route? Or the quarterback doesn't like the end, so he's never going to throw him the ball, even though he's an all-league end? If a house is divided against itself, will it fall? Yes. It's a common fact. So his opening response to being called a Satanist is to say, let's establish a truth first. Anything divided against itself falls. And everybody in the world would agree with that. So here's his second move. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Isn't that logical? Because you say I cast out demons by Baalzebub. That's logically incoherent. You guys are basically logically wrong. Think about it. Then he adds more to it. He says, and if I cast out demons by Baalzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Because see, these are Pharisees. We learned this from the Matthew version of the story. And the Pharisees believed in God's word. They were conservatives. And their disciples, that's what sons means, their disciples did exorcisms. And so Jesus says, if I'm casting out demons by, by Beelzebub or, or Satan, then who are your disciples casting them out? Because I say to you, um, they'll be your judges. They know who's what power kicks out, kicks out Satan. And then he goes one more verse, verse 20. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come among you. You say, this is brilliant logic. Yeah. But think about it with me. What if someone called you a Satanist at work? Would you be a bit upset? Or what if someone criticizes you? They go, you know, I don't like the way you walk. You see, well, I think your mother dresses you funny. You know, right? that's what we come back with, right? You attack me. They attack Jesus. They call the Son of God a, a Satanist. He responds with brilliant logic. How do you get that calm to think when you've been attacked? Why does he just kill a couple of them? How do you get to be that way? Verse thirteen. What is Jesus filled with? The Holy Spirit. Luke three twenty one. Before he started his ministry, he was filled. He was asking before he got here. Then watch what he does next. He kind of helps him more. He says, "When a stronger man, or excuse me, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace and his goods are in peace." Then his goods are in peace. But when a stronger man than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. Now, what I think this is referring to is the strong man is Satan. And the stronger than him is Jesus. Because Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he defeats Satan and he takes his spoils, and Satan's spoils in this case was that Satan had taken this man's ability to speak and Jesus gave it back. Because you see, Satan wants to hurt you and despoil you and to take away from you that which is makes you human. And it is the role of God's people when they pray in Jesus' name To give it back. It's the work of the church in his name. It was Jesus' work. Remember, when he would cast out demons, he would heal people and put them back together. But let me share something with you. Um, And it's brought up by Jesus. Look at the next verse. He says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. That doesn't seem to be part of the logic here, does it? It almost seems not to fit here. And look at the next verse. It doesn't fit either. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. And so he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. And then he goes and takes seven... Uh, With him, seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. What is Jesus saying? Go back to 23. He who is not with me is against me, he who does not gather with me scatters. Is he speaking to the Pharisees or to someone else? Could he be speaking to the man who was demon possessed? Because all of us know that. People come to this church, accept to Jesus Christ's personal Savior, but they didn't get filled with God's Spirit. They didn't pray that prayer. So they began to think like God. They didn't start walking with the body and learning. And then they fell right back into the world, and it would have been better had they never come to church. Let, let me translate verse 23 with you. You can't stay neutral either get in or you get out. Okay, second question. Why is Jesus talking to the demon-possessed man? He didn't attack him. How do you get to the point where when you're under attack, you not only can logically and brilliantly answer your attackers, but then you're so other-centered, you also worry about the poor person you helped. Because when I read this, I know when people attack me, all I think about is me. How am I going to defend myself? You say, are you ever attacked at the university? Is the Pope Catholic? Is 2 and 2 4? Is 3 and 3 6? Do I get attacked? Yeah, everybody does. And my gut reaction is to be very defensive and to you know think of ways to to defend myself, and then I find the Holy Spirit coming to me and saying, "You want forgiveness? What do I have to do? I have to forgive those idiots, and I have to love them, and I have to be so aware of their needs that I'm not worried about my own. You say, well, we just can't do that. I know we can't. Therefore, we need the very vitality of God. The wind of God has to be in us. And how do we get it? Verse 13. Ask. He say, it's too simple. Ask. And everyone who asks, receives. Um, I love what happens next. And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice. She was probably listening to Jesus and go, oh, my gosh, this man can really, really think on his feet. And he's so wise and he's so calm. She was probably just blown away. And so look what she does. She raises her voice and she says to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts on which you nursed. And that, of course, becomes the standard Calvary Chapel greeting to pastors after they give good sermons. Um, your pastor would like to be greeted this way for the rest of the year. So... When he gives a good sermon, just go up and say, Blessed is the woman who bore you and on whose breast you nursed. And then see what he does. Okay. <laughs> what does she really say? She's really saying, Yo, mama, I must be proud. Right? Isn't that how. I mean, this is. Hispanic peoples are family peoples. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm half Armenian. That's who we are. So if you do well, they go, oh, you're... I, I, when I was used to preach in Armenian church, my, my, uh, the Armenian ladies would come up. Every time they, they thought the sermon was good, they'd come up and go, oh, your grandmother Bazar must be singing in heaven. <laughs> what are they really saying? You did well. And of course, in a family community... The best way to compliment someone is saying, your parents must be proud. So she's giving Jesus what? A compliment. Okay? And he answers how? My translation says more than that. Basically, it's au contraire. I don't think so, he says. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and... Keep it now. I admit, as someone who speaks or as a teacher, you want your students to say, Well, that was a cool lecture because when you teach, or when you teach a Sunday school class, and you know, you're vulnerable, and it's so easy to worry about whether they liked what you did or not. Jesus seems to be so together that he realizes that perhaps this woman goes to church all the time, loves the good teaching when she hears it, and goes up and compliments the rabbi. And Jesus knows that that's not helped her. What's he tell her? Blessed is he who hears the word of God and... Does it? She hasn't gotten anywhere by liking the sermons, and he loves her enough to point that out to her. See, so how do you get to be that unself-centered that you worry about the people that compliment you? Just take the compliments, man. Do you understand? He's he's very other-centered. He has the wind of God, the vitality of God in him. Therefore, he's much more worried about her than he is about getting compliments. And then watch what happens next. He says, um, while the crowds were thickly gathering, he began to say, and now he's going to address that other question. Remember, he was accused of being a Satanist. And then he was accused of not proving by signs. And he says, there is an, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became assigned to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be a, assigned to this generation. Well, one of my students read this verse a couple of days ago. and She came up to me and she says, You know, Jesus' answer is not very nice. He called them wicked. Were they wicked? Yeah. If you go to the doctor and he examines you and sees you have cancer, and then he goes... Um, well, I hope you have a wonderful day, you know, because I don't want and as you leave, you know, he turns to the to his, his nurse and he says, they oh, they got about three months to live, they're just gonna drop dead. But I want to wreck their day. Is that a good doctor? Or if you go to the dentist and they see he's got this cavity and it's about to, you know, pretty soon there'll be you know you'll be in a lot of pain and they see it there and they think, Oh, I don't want to ruin their day. So how's my teeth doc? They're fine. Is that a good dentist? Is Jesus being unloving? Prayer is dialogue. And if you talk to God, He'll talk back. And some of the things He'll say may not be what you want to hear. So if you don't want Him to talk back, don't talk to Him. Don't pray. Because there's a huge difference between prayers and prayer. Prayers is religious oh you know, all these really fancy terms. And you say it a lot and you do it and you, do it a little tough, and, you know, you count your beads or whatever. You know the Muslims got those beads, don't they? You know, I, every morning I get up and I, you know, faithfully, you know, pray for seven thousand six hundred and eighty two people. Maybe that's prayers and not prayer. Because once you really talk to Him, He's going to talk back. And then look up. I don't want to do that. Then don't pray. It's, it's, don't tell Jesus He gave a good sermon. He might say something else to you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Don't call Him a Satan. He'll speak back logically and clearly and help your mind. And you say, well, I'd want a sign, which was a stupid thing. You weren't thinking. He's basically saying, you guys have bricks for brains. He's going to respond to you. Okay? And he will answer you. He doesn't often answer you as fast as you would like him to answer. What I've noticed, he doesn't answer me the way I often want him to answer me. But that's because he's never going to give me a stone when I ask for bread. And I shared with the earlier congregation that one time... I had lost my temper when I was a pastor and I felt so guilty. I went for a long two, three-hour walk. I drove up into the mountains, got on these fire roads where nobody was around and I started to walk on. And As I prayed, I prayed out loud. And finally, I do remember, I don't know whether two hours was enough because all of a sudden I just looked up into the sky and I said, would you help me with my temper? And I think he heard me. I could sense he heard me. And then within the next year, boy... He come after me. He heard my prayer. It was the most painful year of my life. You see, you shouldn't have prayed, man. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But you know what? I am so glad I did. I'm so glad I did. Because prayer is dialogue. And he's going to speak back. And how is he going to speak back? We kind of get some examples here. He's showing us. Because as you read the Gospels on your own now, every time someone talks to Jesus, talking to Jesus is talking to God. So you have examples of prayer. Does that make sense? Okay, one more thing. The Queen of the South, he says in verse 31, will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. And the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. You know, this morning we sang to Him because He is the greatest. What a privilege we have. They had the privilege of hearing the Son of God in the flesh. We have the pri- privilege of hearing it as well. And it is great. And so we're obligated then. But at the same time, what an honor. What a privilege. And what I like, when I was coming here, my wife says, where are you going this morning? I said, El Monte. She goes, well, oh, that's close. I says, yeah, and this is a cool group. You can sense it when you walk in the door. So thank you. I sense it every time I've come here. I sense His presence here. I sense His love. And I I know some of you guys have prayed when this thing started. And I know you bathe this thing in prayer. And I noticed Manny's telling you, pray for every service. You're not talking to Santa Claus. You're talking to the Lord of glory. He's going to hear you. Let's pray. Father, thank you all that you do for us. and Thank you for your presence in this room. Thank you for these people. And, Father, thank you for being what your message is and for kind of just living it out in front of us and showing us how you do things. Father, bless us this day as we go, and may the rest of all this day be, honored, be an honor to you, for we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.